Amen. I've entitled this message this morning, The Cost of Reconciliation. And um, Jesus has been looking forward to his return. That has been the main subject of his preaching. He's been looking forward to his return. But now as we come to these words, Jesus takes a different, a different route. And I've given this sermon three headings, all beginning with D, so you can remember them quite easily. The first thing that I want you to notice about Jesus' words this morning is distress. I want you to notice distress in his words. Look at the, uh, the verses in verse 49 to 50. Jesus says, I have come, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Jesus brings you this morning into the inner thoughts of his own heart. Jesus brings you closer to him when he speaks these words. You see, often we forget the horrors of the cross. And we forget how physically the cross was a horrible thing. Absolutely a horrible thing. I was in Bexley Heath the other week and I went into a shop and the young lady who was serving me, um, she had... Um, tattoos on her body but what brought my attention was that she had um, tattoos on her face two of them and they were tattoos of a cross on her face on either side I don't know if she drew them on or had them tattooed on and I thought to myself what a strange place to have a tattoo anyway on your face but um, tattoo of the cross was on her face and people forget the horrors of the cross. But not only the physical horrors of the cross, but also there are spiritual horrors that Jesus himself, only Jesus, the spiritual horrors that Jesus went through on the cross is beyond imagination. God pouring his anger on Christ. You know, in the Philippines, um, I saw on the news a few months ago, in the Philippines, Catholic men walk around whipping themselves on their backs. And other men have nails driven in their hands, and they get nailed to a cross. And you see them with a crown of thorns imitating what happened to Jesus. And every year, they look forward to that Easter time where they can have nails driven in their hands and be put on a cross and whip themselves with lashes. They look forward to it. But I want to tell you, Jesus did not look forward to the cross. Jesus realized how much suffering was going to take place. And so he says, I am distressed I am distressed even now even before the cross Jesus was suffering because distress is suffering from extreme anxiety 
extreme sorrow, distress, is suffering internally with some real deep pain that no one can really understand. Jesus says, I am in distress when I think about the cross. The very thought of it tormented him. Look what he says here. He says, I have a baptism to undergo. That word baptism in Greek is baptismo, which actually means to be totally immersed. Totally immersed. And Jesus was going to be totally immersed in pain. His body, his spirit, his soul, his mind, every part of Jesus was going to be totally immersed in pain. That's why he said, I have a baptismo to go through. I'm going to be totally immersed in pain. Is it no wonder that Jesus cries out in Luke, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Father, if there's any other way, if you are willing, oh God, allow this cup to be removed from me. Do not allow me to go through what I have to go through. The pain and the suffering that I'm going to be baptized into, immersed totally into. Father, let this cup pass me by. You know, no one else can take that baptism. Would you take his baptism? Would you take his baptism? Would you take his place? I don't think so. This baptism, no one else could go through except Jesus Christ himself. But do you know what? His reward was going to be great. His reward was going to be great. You know, actually, personally, I don't think his reward is that great. His reward was going to be me. Can you believe that? A filthy, dirty, rotten sinner. Christ's reward was going to be me. Let me put it this way. Christ's reward was going to be you sitting here in Golding's church, that distress, that pain, that suffering was going to give him a reward. And that reward was going to be you. Isn't that amazing? Look what the um, Bible says about the suffering of the cross. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before him? You were the joy. You are the joy that was set before him. When he went to the cross, when he endured the shame, when he endured the distress and the pain, he said, there's a reward coming. What is that reward? It was you and I. That was the reward. There was joy. I listened to a few testimonies in my past and one young man said to me he was um, involved in a, a violent background drink. But one day he knelt in the kitchen of a friend and gave his life to Christ. 
Another man told me that he was a, a raving drunk, an alcoholic, but in his caravan he fell face down and said, Lord, save me. The Lord saved him. A young woman, young girl, only 11 or 12 years old, heard the words of Jesus. How can they hear the gospel if someone does not send them? And she heard the gospel and gave her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. These people were joy, joy, joy to Jesus Christ. When he went to the cross, he says, I'm going, even though I'm going to be baptized in a baptism that nobody else wanted. But I'm going because there's joy set before me. And the joy is you. The joy is you. That is the joy. You know, when I finish preaching, and I wish I can stop now, I want you to go out this morning and say, I am the joy of Christ. Me, I don't understand it. I can't work it out in my mind. But he went through all these things. And the reason why the Bible tells me, because he saw me at the end of it. And he said, there is my joy. That girl, that boy, that man, that woman, there is my joy. And I'm going to endure the cross. Praise be to God. Someone say hallelujah. Oh, my days. That is what Christ has done. That's why I'm able to stand before you and preach. Not because I've done something incredible, but because he has done something incredible. And he has made us his joy. If you don't know Christ this morning, you need to get to that place when you will find him as your Lord and Savior. For he died and suffered and went to the cross because of the joy set before him. I remember God said to, um, to Jonah, God said to Jonah over in um, his book in the Old Testament, God said, should I not have concern for that great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, cannot tell what is good from what is bad. They're so wicked, but I am concerned for 120,000 people. I'm concerned for them. For they are my joy. You know what? They're going to be in glory. If you're a Christ, if you're in Christ this morning, you're going to walk into glory and you're going to meet somebody and they're going to say, I was in Nineveh. I was in Nineveh and I saw the cross by faith. And I look forward. I was in Nineveh. I was in Nineveh. Praise be to God. Let's move on to my second D. Let's find it. I'm not get here. It is division. Division. You know, we must say such wonderful joy brings division. You know what Jesus says? Jesus said in Luke chapter fifteen, "I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than over ninety-nine righteous people." who do not need to repent. There's joy in heaven. There's joy. One person steps into the kingdom. One person gets grabbed out of hell. One person taken out of darkness and brought into light. There's joy in heaven. But sadly, there's division 
on earth. Joy in heaven, but sadly, division on earth. Look what Jesus says. Do you think I come to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They'll be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I say this with a heavy heart, but Jesus is speaking the plain truth. We see it more strikingly. We see it far more strikingly in the Middle East. When the reality of Jesus' death, when someone in the Middle East sees for the first time that Jesus Christ has died for them. And there's no turning back. They can't avoid the facts. It's right there. Jesus Christ has done a work and, and they put their faith in Christ. Whether they're Sikh, Hindu or Muslim does not matter. But when they give their life to Christ, there's huge division in that family. Children are thrown out. Wives are divorced and sent away. Even members of the family can be murdered because they have become born-again Christians. It's sad. I say it with a heavy heart, but that's a fact. And what Jesus is saying is saying what is true in our society. About maybe 10 years ago, we had a, a small Muslim man that came to church. His name was Shab. Some of you might remember Shab. Little small Muslim man. He was about 60 plus years of age. He had an encounter with Christ, an amazing encounter. And he told us the story of him meeting and knowing and understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord. Shab came from a Muslim background. He's had family staying here and he was staying not very far. He had come to church on his bike, riding his bike to get here on a Sunday morning. But once he became a Christian, his wife refused to have anything to do with him. His family rejected him. He said, I haven't got no family. He said to me one time, I haven't got no family. This is my family. That's what happens in the Middle East. When Jesus Christ comes into a life, into our heart, there is a division already created. And sadly, we've seen it in our news and, and, and we've seen it in reports around the world. Even in this country. But in the West, it's a little bit different, you see. Let me paint you the picture what happens in the West with us. You see, you have a family. And they will call themselves Christian. The reason why they will call themselves Christian is because they've been confirmed in the Church of England. They were married in an old-fashioned Church of England church, C of E. With the vicar, not to the vicar, but with, with the vicar. All dressed in their robes and garments and so on. The children also went to a C of E school. And then one day, let's say for example, one day the husband gets awakened. He begins to see that he's not right with God. He begins to see that he's a sinner and that he needs to repent and turn to the Lord. And so he gets on his knees and he prays, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, and he becomes a born-again Christian. He gets up and he says, wow, this is wonderful. 
And he turns to his family and he turns to his wife and his children and he says, you know what, God has done a wonderful work in me. Let's go to church. I say, hold on. You're mad. He said, well, hold on. Didn't we get married in the Church of England? Didn't our children go to a CFB school? Isn't the Queen Elizabeth, isn't she a born-again Christian? How can you say that I'm mad? But what happens is that when a person gets awakened, well, let's say, what happens, when a person is in their sin with their family, they're all traveling one direction. They're all going one way. But suddenly, one of them gets awakened. One of them, the Spirit of God touches, and they begin to get excited about God, and they turn, and they look, and begin to walk towards the Lord. That's what happens. And because that happens, the others are going one way when the one or the two has turned around and seen something of God and they are pursuing that and it becomes a natural division. Not that they don't love one another. Not that they don't care for one another. Not that they don't pray for one, that the man or the woman who's a Christian don't pray for his wife or husband. Not that, but because there is a different allegiance. I am now belonging to Christ. Who are you belonging to? I am now listening to Jesus. Who are you listening to? I'm now reading the word of God. What are you reading? And there is a separation even in families. Separation not only in families, there's separation in workplaces, separation. And Jesus does not want that. He's just speaking the truth here. I tell you what Jesus wants. The Bible says in 1, 2 Peter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That is what Jesus wants. That's his desire. He doesn't want no one to perish, but everyone, everyone, the whole family. That's his desire. If that's his desire, we can pray, Lord, save my family. It's your desire. Save my family. But he knows that believing in him, loving him, honoring him, living a life like he lives, being kind, compassionate, prayerful, will bring opposition. I don't fully understand that, but it will bring opposition. You know, families are strange, and I had a story this week about a family who seemed to accept anything in their families. This week, I heard a story of the youngest transgender in the UK. He was three years old when he told his mum and dad that he doesn't want to be a boy anymore, he wants to be a girl. He had two older brothers. And this young boy said to his mum and dad, I don't want to be a boy anymore, I want to be a girl. Can you call me Jessica? The mum and the dad and the two brothers all agreed. And not only did they agree, the young boy is nine years old now and he's waiting for to become old enough so he can have a sex change, so he can become what he thinks a total girl. The whole family agrees.
Now, you and I will sit here and think to yourself, isn't that crazy? The boy needs a slap at three years old. I mean, we all go through different stages, but surely the family, somebody in the family was so saying, surely, son, this is not right. You were born a boy. When you came out of your mother's room, I said, I have a boy. Surely this is not right. But no, the whole family, even the young children in the family have said, we are now raising a girl. That's how crazy our world is. But if somebody says, you know what, I want to be a Christian. That's it. You can't be a Christian. You can't be going to church. You can't be reading your Bible. There's opposition right there. Soon as someone says, I want to be following Christ and live a life more holier, more righteous, more godly, suddenly that becomes vile in our families. Listen, if you are facing any opposition for being a Christian, any opposition, listen to what the Word of God says. Look what the Holy Spirit says. Resist him, that's the devil. Resist the devil, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. The same kind, throughout the world. You're facing difficulties at your workplace, difficulties at school, difficulties at college. Don't despair. Resist the devil because you know that there's brothers in the world who are going through the same kind of suffering that you are going through. So there's going to be not only Jesus' distress, as we saw in the first point, but also sadly, Sadly, even though there's joy in being a Christian, it brings division in a family. Finally, my last D, deliverance. Let's read this story Jesus tells. He says this. Why don't you judge for yourself what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throws you into prison. Jesus said, even though there's going to be division in family, sadly, because you have decided to follow Christ, keep on going. There's no other option. Keep on going. And he used this story about this man going with his enemy, with his adversary. He's going to court. And according to Jesus' story, the man who's going to court is in the wrong. Totally in the wrong. And Jesus says, as you go to court, and you're walking together with your adversary, talk to him. Reason with him. Make every effort to plead with him and to be reconciled to him before you get to court. Before you get to court. Because when you get to court and the judge speaks, you'll find that you've been thrown in prison. That's the story that Jesus gives. What does he mean? This is what he means. Let me make it plain. Christ is standing as your adversary. 
Christ is standing as your enemy. Because of your sin. You're a sinner. You have been guilty as charged. You have broken God's commands. And you stand as an enemy to Christ. You are not his friend if you are involved in sinful practices. You are his enemy. And so you stand as an enemy of Christ. And he stands as your enemy. And guess what? As you go through this life, you're journeying to the judge. And Jesus says, I'm with you always, whether you believe me or don't believe in me, whether you see me or don't see me, I'm still there. I can see you, said Jesus. But I'm telling you now, he says, make every effort to reconcile yourself with me before you meet the judge. Make every effort. Look at the words here. He says, try hard to be reconciled on the way. Try hard. Make every effort to reconcile yourself with the one who's against you. Make every effort. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he preaches, was passionate. Look what he says. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God was making his appeal through us, we implore you. That's a strong word, you know. We implore you. In other words, I beseech you. I beg you. I implore you. Be reconciled to God. That's the Apostle Paul preaching. And he cries out and he says, as you move throughout your life, don't ignore it. Don't put it to one side. But as you are going forward, make every effort to reconcile yourself with Christ. And he turns around. Because what's going to happen is that if you don't get reconciled on the way, you may get dragged off to the judge. And the judge turns you over to the officer. And the officer throws you into prison. In other words, what Jesus says is that your end will be a dreadful, dreadful end. Because on the way, there will be opportunities for you to reconcile yourself with God. There will be. He will make sure that you will have opportunities to put it right with him, to make peace with him. He will always be willing to be reconciled to you. But will you be willing to reconcile yourself to him? And he always will be ready to make peace with you. Therefore, you can be delivered now. And that's the cry from the heart of Christ. Do not let the possibility of being odd in your family. Do not allow the possibility of being odd in your workplace or in your friendship circles or in your community because you're following Christ. Do not let them put that off, but make every effort, struggle and strain and make sure that you are reconciled to God. And as the apostle pleads, so I, in my sermon, with a plea, I beseech you by the mercy of God. I implore you. Yes, beg you to be reconciled to Christ. There's no other greater reconciliation 
There's no other greater peace than what it is to be reconciled to Christ. Why? Well, by three Ds. First, distress. Jesus went through distress even before the cross. Months ahead, he was suffering because he knew what was coming. But that distress, that pain, that baptism, he went through because there was going to be a joy that was going to be given to him. And you are that joy. Therefore, make every effort to be reconciled to him. Let's pray.